This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fans podcast. Damn, AC, it feels good to finally say mm-hmm. that again. It's been a little bit too long since we've been on the mic, but we're <laughs> back. We're back. We're back. Welcome back, man. We are back. Dude, it's been, uh, it's been a year. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's not anything else going on in the world, um, and we don't have an election or anything uh, hanging over our heads. <laughs> Right. So this can be a this can be a good distraction for uh for uh for our loyal listeners. You've definitely seen us active on Instagram and on Twitter. Definitely uh but it, it feels good to be back where where we began and that's on the mic here. Absolutely, man. It's, it's it's been fun at least being able to to keep track with people. Like the, the Duke Twitter following and the Duke Instagram following is huge and it just shows what Dave Bradley's been doing with this whole with the whole social media aspect of it, like the fact that other teams still are not, they don't have the, the type of presence that Duke basketball has on, on social media. It's like, it's incredible what he's been doing. Yeah. You know that, and they take great pride in that. And uh, I know firsthand uh, some of the work that goes on over there mm-hmm. um, and, and what they uh, are really focused on. And it, you can tell that their hard work pays off. And actually it, it you know, I do, we, we do have a lot of uh, topics. Obviously, you have five great topics this week, but I wanted to start with something else uh, now that we're on this. Um, you know, there's going to be no fans, obviously, uh, in the Cameron this year. Right. Do you, how do you see them doing that? Because you know that they're going to do something. You know that, you know, how like, the NBA bubble had, you know, the screen with the fans and, right. and that kind of stuff. You know that they're going to have to do something. And so I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. Do you think they'll have like some kind of big digital screen that just has like it's just videos of like the crazies, you know, on this huge screen and, and pumping in that noise? Like, how do you? I I, I have to see them doing something. I, I would think so, and it's going to be interesting because some schools are going to be able to do more than other schools, and Duke's going to be one of those schools that you know almost limitless yeah. budget, like. You know, Austin P can't do what Duke does, and so is that going to be then taken as this is an unfair recruiting event? Because that's that's what that's what everybody cries the minute that somebody has more money and can do more than somebody else. It's an unfair recruiting advantage, right? So if Duke is able to do something like that, which I have a feeling they will, outside of just pumping crowd noise into the stadium or whatever, I have a feeling they'll be able to do that. And there's going to be a lot of complainers out there at other schools. And it's like, you know what? Hey, man, get with the program. Dave Bradley put something on Twitter the other day, which I thought was awesome. He never, obviously never mentioned his school in particular because, you know, it'd be some kind of violation or whatever. But he was like, with the whole, with the whole uh, name and likeness uh, ruling coming out and, and everything, everything coming up with that in the next couple of years, he, he was saying what we've kind of been, you know, you know, positing on the show, which is, certain schools are basically going to be G league proof. Like Duke is one of those schools. He's saying that the schools that have, that have the ability to promote their guys and are, are like the blue blood type schools are going to be, are going to be able to come out of this thing. Whereas other schools aren't. And it's like, yeah, you're exactly right, man. Like Duke, like Duke is going to be able to, to get through this a lot better than other places. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of how, how this whole season plays out. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's start talking about the season. So let's get to mm-hmm. our first topic. And that's, you know, what's going to be the, the opening starting lineup? The thing about this Duke team, much like we saw last year, mm-hmm. is, in my opinion, you don't have that huge gap in, in, in talent from, you know, 1 through 11. You know, obviously Jalen Johnson's probably going to be our best player. But when you start looking at 
two through 11, and you just don't see that wide gap in talent that you've seen pretty much historically with Duke teams. So in your opinion, you know, what does K do to start the year starting lineup wise? And where do you get it? Where do you get the end? That's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because it, it, it feels like the, the biggest question mark is going to be that five spot. Like, and is it really a question mark? Because I think, I think we all are still looking at these rosters as like traditional rosters. Like you need a, you need the big man down low and then you need the the power forward and then the actual small forward and then a, a true point guard. And it's like, none of that stuff really exists in basketball anymore, man. That's we're, we're headed to a place. And Kay is always on the cusp. Like he was, he was shooting threes before a lot of teams were shooting threes. Like he's, he was using versatile big men before anybody was using versatile, versatile big men. So he's always ahead of the game. And I think the next evolution in this whole thing is, you know, big six, six or taller playmakers all over the floor, like from one through five, like six, six or taller arm length, wingspan, all the above can affect the game on the defensive end and the offensive end on both sides of the ball like that from all five positions. I think that's where this game is headed. And I think that K kind of sees that. I mean, you guys like, you got guys like Jokic in the NBA, seven foot, he's a point guard basically. Like, you know what I mean? So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes with this because I don't see Mark Williams starting over Matthew Hurt, and I don't see Matthew Hurt not in the starting lineup. So I see Matthew Hurt, Jalen Johnson, Wendell Moore, and then Jordan Goldwyer and Jeremy Roach. That's that's what I see. Like that's that's how I feel the season's going to start. That doesn't mean that's how we end, and that doesn't mean it's the best lineup. It doesn't mean it's the best defensive lineup. I just that's how I feel we start the season because I think those are our five best players. Um, well, I don't, I don't think that those are our five best players because I don't think Goldwire is. If, if he's, I mean, and again, I, I'm not trying to take a shot this early on. I feel like mm-hmm. in the season, but um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think we're in a good shape if, if Goldwire is one of our five best players. Now, I don't disagree with you in terms of I could easily see K starting the season out with him, mm-hmm. um, in that starting position to either help with Jeremy Roach. Or even have Jeremy Roach coming off the bench to just to start the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, normally I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said that probably a couple months ago, but we've started to learn. I guess we've gotten some tidbits on, um, you know, that that Roach isn't quite up to speed uh, as quickly as I guess they would like. Um, and so I think he's going to have more of a traditional freshman year where he's going to mm-hmm. have a lot of ups and downs. Yep. And so in terms of starting lineup, I. I know that I said prior that I think it'll be Roach, Moore, Jalen Johnson, Hurt, and I had no idea what was going to happen at the five. So I, I think, you know, you, you've been hearing some good things with Williams, so I'm going to say that that's when it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me, though, if, if he has Goldwater in there at the start of the year instead of Roach. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm going to actually say right now, I'm going to say that Goldwater is going to start and have right. Roach coming off the bench. Um. I do, and I'm sure you're on the same page with this. I expect there to be just 20 different starting lineups. Oh, now. yeah. What did we have last year? Something like uh, it was oh. 13 by December. Yeah. And I think by the end of the year, it ended up being like 19 or something like that. Yeah. 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 It and it's going to be the same yeah. exact scenario this year, I think. I mean, at some point, you're going to see Mark Williams start. I'm sure you will. At some point, you're going to see DJ Stewart start. When I say Goldwire yeah. and Roach and Johnson and Hurt and Moore are five best players, I, I think they are right now. I think DJ Stewart can can bump that up. 
and what I mean by that, I think Goldwire, the one thing that Goldwire gives us that's elite is defense, right? So I'm looking sure. at like elite skill sets. He has he has an elite skill set on defense. He's he was a 35% three point shooter last year, up from like 22% or something. I, and I think that number can jump even higher if he's if he's really put the work in, which you know that dude puts in work. So if he's a reliable three point shooter, I don't see why Jordan can't be a very good and serviceable player this year. I, I don't think it's I don't think he's anymore that he's like, uh oh, Jordan Goldwire's in the game. Like I'm I'm happy when he's in the game. No, uh, and, yeah, definitely. And I could even see a scenario where he starts over Roach and Stewart starts. Um I, I really it, it's that that little guard spot right there is definitely in contention. I don't think Jeremy has it completely locked up. And we kind of talked about that before. Like we we knew he wasn't gonna be a one and done coming in. You could see it how Duke was recruiting, you could see it in the type of player he is. He's not going to be one and done. He's going to be here two to three years, and I'm, I'm ha- very happy with that. And it's it's great that he has a chance to work with and behind Jordan Goldwire right now. Yeah, and he still is an elite defensive player. So let's not get that mistaken. I, I know we both have kind of seen and heard some of the same same stories about how Jeremy's not not you know fully. It's not like Trey Jones where he comes in and it's his ball right off the bat. Like it's that's not where Jeremy is right now. He still is an elite defender and an elite athlete, so let's not get that twisted. So, sure, I think he's gonna. That, that's a skill set, especially in a season that has so much turmoil behind it. No off season, really. No summer workouts. Like he's coming in college ready in terms of athleticism. That's going to help his progression a lot, especially throughout the season. I don't look at him as a reliable scorer or shooter. Not yet. That's two years down the road for him. But for now, being able to at least facilitate the offense and and get things moving with this with this crew and play really really exceptional defense, that's going to be big. But I could absolutely see, like you said, him coming off the bench and maybe DJ Stewart starting because DJ Stewart has been ripping it up and he is a phenomenal offensive player who can play some defense. So that might be a skill set we need in the backcourt. Yeah, we've also been hearing good reports on Joey Baker um, yep. that he is uh, another guy that is just torching the nuts. And obviously we've seen him have success with that last year. So mm-hmm. I'm you know who to... else uh who else I've been hearing like really, really good things about is Jamin Brakefield, man. He's, He's taking and rebounding next... seriously apparently. Like Yeah, one hundred percent. I was gonna ask you if he was gonna be my next guy. I, I wanna finish that I think that uh having Stewart and Baker coming off the bench together um mm-hmm. just gives us a dynamic that hardly any other team in the country can match. Right. Remember last season, we talked about how possibly at, at a certain point in the season, it really looked like, even though defensively it was a horrific lineup, Joey Baker, Alex O'Connell, and Matt Hurt were like our like sharpshooter, like sniper offense that forget the defense because you don't necessarily need elite stops because you have nothing but shooters on the floor that will absolutely knock it down and there's nothing the other team can do about it. And we they'd get in the game and they'd run up 10, 15 points on teams at times. Notre Dame being one that I remember like right yeah. off the top of my head, like that's what you're going to have. If, if DJ is who he is. And if Joey is still, if Joey is making, taking his next step, that junior step that you see a lot of these guys take. And then Matt Hurt or Jamin Brakefield or both are, are really giving us something positive on either side of the ball, but still also retaining that ability that they have to put the ball in the basket, dude, that's difficult. And then, of course, Jalen Johnson's going to be on the floor. Like, he's not coming off the floor. That's that's right. extremely difficult for any other team to handle. And in those little small stretches, you don't need that defense. You don't need an elite defensive stopper in those stretches because all you're doing is scoring, and the other team is hoping that they can possibly catch up. So, to finish up this segment, is it a hot take 
is this a hot take to say that by the end of the year, our starting lineup will be Jeremy Roach, Wendell Moore, Jalen Johnson, Jamin Brayfield, and Matthew Hurt? Whoo! <laughs> like, as, you're, as you're saying those, right? We didn't talk about this before. As you're saying that, I'm like, I was already like, yo, like I, I, I can see that path, man. Like that path definitely is possible. It's not like it's not impossible because, like we said from the start, like none of these guys are head and shoulders better than anyone else except for Jalen Johnson. Like he is like clearly the best player on the floor, and he'll be the best player right. on the floor any game right. on for either team for for months of the season. But yeah, man. Like, there's a possibility for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Is so high that uh, that that it, it could happen. All yes, right. So absolutely. let's switch gears. Yeah. So let's switch gears to our second topic. Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt. Mm-hmm. Look, mm-hmm. these guys. You know, they have solid freshman seasons. They were certainly up and down. Very traditional uh, freshman campaigns. Now they're coming in. Matthew Hurt, especially with really high expectations on what they should be able to do for this Duke team. Um, you have to expect Matthew Hurt to be a first-team preseason uh, all-ACC selection. Wendell Moore will be there as well. Um, I'm on record as saying that these guys, um, they have to be consistently high performers and producers for us to have any sort of chance of making noise, uh, both in the conference and nationally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. I agree. I am. Um, I don't. I don't see a path for us to be able to compete nationally and w- without them being where they are. And I actually, I think I disagree with you on them being preseason first team or second team players in the ACC. I don't think they're going to get that respect, and you can kind of wow. see it okay. in where some of the pundits are ranking Duke already. Like we're we're already being ranked between pretty pretty regularly between like eleven and twenty. And I think I even saw us as low as like, what was it? As low as like 19 or 20 or something like that in one, um, some preseason ranking. I can't remember who it was. But we're not getting much top 10, even in some places, top 15 love. And I think it's because they look at Wendell and Matt's freshman season as how up and down it was. And I don't know that they're getting, they're not getting respect for what they possibly can do. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them because there were times that Matt looked great. And then there were times that he just looked like, like freshman Ryan Kelly, like all over again. And there were times that Wendell looked absolutely amazing. And there's times where he, you know, makes those typical freshman plays. But I think, I think that's indicative of their path. I think these guys are, like we said before with them, they're two and three year guys that they're going to go through that exact progression where freshman year is going to be what it was. Sophomore year is going to be a lot better. And then, you know, they're, they're, they're stars by their third year, if they even stay their third year. So, which I, I really don't see them doing because I think this season they can, each of those guys can do what they need to do to get themselves in the draft. Like I think Matt Hurt can continue to showcase his shooting ability. You see now that he's up to 240 and legitimately yeah. up to 240. So he's going to be able to hold his own in the paint. And he already had great footwork down low. He had excellent touch down low. He just was getting bodied down low continuously where he couldn't get rebounds and he couldn't get shots off in the paint. That's not going to be a problem for him this year. If he added that weight and their strength behind it. Wendell is, he's always going to be Wendell. He's going to be a a strong Swiss Army knife type of player who can help facilitate this offense. And this is going to be an offense where you have five playmakers on the floor at times, giving the ball up to each other. And that's perfect for Wendell because it's not going to be a lot of pressure on him. So he's going to be able to play his game the way he does. And I think we see that 
kind of like we mentioned last year a little bit, that kind of Justice Winslow type of feel of game where he's just affecting the, 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 the game all over the floor. And maybe not to Justice's level, but just he's affecting the game everywhere. And we're going to see that from Wendell, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay dividends for this team because they need that. Yeah, you know, I was certainly going to talk about the – we've seen uh, photos and, you know, video clips from uh, Duke Blue Planet on the, just the way that they rebuilt their bodies um, mm-hmm. over the offseason. So um, specifically Wendell Moore, I want to talk about – to me, it just looks like he has embraced that leadership role. Um mm-hmm. And and he's just ready to be that leader. Whereas I think Matthew Hurt, just by his by his you know nature, he's uh, he's quieter, um, mm-hmm. which is there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like Wendell Moore is going to be that kind of that that outspoken vocal leader that that this Duke team desperately needs because there are so yep. many new pieces, and those new pieces outside of uh, Jalen Johnson aren't the uh, the elites that we we've, we've been accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Him being a sophomore, um, he has to take that step. And I almost feel like, you know, with Matthew Hurt, he's just going to be a better, more consistent version of what he was. But Wendell Moore has a higher ceiling in terms of of what his game and on-court presence um, can really add for this team. Absolutely. And I mean, so at, soft, at this point, sophomores are the new seniors, right? Like that's yeah. that's kind of where we are at basketball, especially at Duke. So it's like those two, absolutely. And like you said, Matt, Matt's not so much of that vocal type leader. He's more of like the, the lead by example type of guy. And But Wendell, absolutely. Like coming in, he had that reputation as being an on the floor leader. It's just last year, he's a freshman going through it. We had Trey Jones out there already. So he kind of deferred this year between him and Goldwire. He's not going to have to defer. Like it's going to be those two on the floor you know, barking out orders, letting people know where they're supposed to be, everything. And and he's someone that the team can respect. Like, it's not like, I'm not that I'm picking on him, but it's not like Javin, where if Javin says something, you're kind of like, okay, guy. But like, you know, Wendell, he's it's someone you obviously respect because Wendell can get his out there on the court. So it's, it, you know, it's it's, it's going to be fun to see how, what step he takes this year. And like, I'm not, damn the statistics. I just want to see what he does on the floor and how comfortable he can get out there and and begin to play because we kind of were we were hoping for it all season last year and we saw it in flashes. We definitely want to see it consistently this year. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really care as much uh, what his his stat line looks like. Mm-hmm. Now with Matthew Hurt though, um, yeah. I expect Matthew Hurt. He he has to be, if not the the leading scorer, then the second leading scorer. Right. And I'm I'm looking at that 17 plus points per game. Yep. And hopefully, you know, what do you think? Eight and a half rebounds is probably fair. Whew. I don't know, man. So Ja averaged eight rebounds while he was at Duke. I don't know yeah. that Matt's gonna have that opportunity to get eight boards. Like he's he's not he's not a board man like Ja. Like if Matt's grabbing five to six, I'm I think I'm happy. Like okay. especially with Mark Williams, possibly Henry Coleman maybe getting time, Tape maybe getting time, Breakfield if he's rebounding a little better, like if if Matt's at five to six range, I'm I'm cool with that. Like he can't be at two and three like he was last year most games. Like it's five and six is that's good enough. And and are you there with me on that he has to be either our top scorer or second? Oh, absolutely. He has to be our top scorer, and I think he has to be above thirty eight percent from three to see for us to have what it is that he can do on the floor. 
really show out. He's he's got to be consistent from three, and he's got yeah, like you said, he's got to be seventeen plus a game. Got to be like it's Jalen Johnson and him are our two primary scores. There's no doubt about that. And yep. if he's not scoring like that, that means he's not living up to that expectation. And that's not a good thing for us because we can't replace what he does. We can't replace 6'11", being able to shoot threes and get down low with good touch. We don't have anybody else on the team that can do that. And and finally, where, where do you see this falling? Um, I have, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bullish here. I do think that both are, are, of these guys are going to rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, I do expect and, and and I do think that he will. I think Matt Hurt will average, you know, 17 plus a game. Um, and I do believe that both of them will have really, really strong seasons. Yep, absolutely. I'm with you on that. I think I think we see Matt there. I, I think he's he's on the same path as Ryan Kelly, but there time has accelerated right now in, in this era in basketball. So whereas Ryan took three and four years to get where he needed to be, I think Matt can do it in year two. And, and I think I want to see Wendell cut down on his turnovers and I want to see, just see those positive Chris Carowell, Justice Winslow type of plays out of him. That's, that's exactly what I want to see out of those two. Yep, absolutely. All right, so let's talk about expectations in our next segment. Jeremy Roach, this is a guy that, um, you know, is coming in. He is one of the, you know, the top point guards in the country for his class, but it's not, like you said, it's not a Trey Jones situation. Certainly not a tie situation. To me, it seems a little bit more like the Derek Thornton situation, where he has the talent, um, but there's you know some some adversity uh, going on where the, the off season is a little bit screwed up. Um, but he does have a lead athleticism. He is a really good defender. Derek Thornton was a really good de- defender as well. We all remember his stop that he had at Carolina. Correct. So what 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 is a fair expectation for Jeremy Roach. I mean, I, I just feel like he's going to be a, he's going to have some really high highs and some, some pretty, you know, typical lows for a freshman. And then by next year, it's kind of like that William Avery uh, role where you're just piloting, you know, this G6 turbo <laughs> jet that we right. expect to have. And I'm not going to try to foreshadow our next segment, but that's, that's kind of what I expect from Jeremy Roach. You know, his game better than anybody. You're close with with Paul the Six and and and, mm-hmm. and that whole sphere. What what should we realistically expect from Jeremy Roach? As a ceiling, as a ceiling, I think, I think you can look at what Duhan did in in two thousand two thousand one as a freshman. I think he he was a he was a floor leader out there with Jason Williams. He he hit open shots at times. He was able to to make big plays at times. He was an elite defender as a freshman. I, I think that's I think that's where I see see Jeremy. Not not necessarily 100% comparing their games, but I mean, Duhan was a 36% three point shooter when he was a freshman. I, I think Jeremy can be around that number. I think he might be a little bit lower than 36, but he's also not going to be popping threes like that, like Duhan was right. with that squad in particular. But that's that's the role I see him playing because he's not Trey. He's not Tyus. We've had this run now. Of, of point guards since basically since Kyrie of freshman point guards being able to come in and just take over, take over this program. And with those little few seasons sprinkled in there, you mentioned Derek Thornton, and this is going to be one of those seasons where we don't have that guy. And you know what? It's fine. That's, that's no big deal. We can make it work. Kay has now seen 
this type of season now a few a few times now so he can learn from his mistakes he made with those squads and i think we have a better supporting cast around around um around jeremy than we did around Derek thornton and around you know tyler thornton when he was running point those those teams quinn cook uh, quinn cook in his early his early time at duke so i think the supporting cast is a little bit better than they had even in those years so Jeremy's going to be able to to kind of get on the floor and make some mistakes. He's not going to be like, let's temper the expectations right now. He's not going to be first team All-American. He's not going to be one and done. It'd be great if he was. I really hope he proves me wrong. Let me put that out there. But this is just me, you know, kind of analyzing this thing. I think he's going to just, he's going to have two and three turnovers a game at times, especially he's, he's going to create turnovers, which is going to kind of stalemate that. But his his athleticism is his big key coming into college. That's the one thing that Jeremy has. And coming off the the ACL injury is he's shown no signs of slowing down, which is excellent. And he's gonna be able to come into college as a as a five star athlete, man. And that's huge. That's huge. And there's gonna be a lot of games where he's gonna help us win games. He's not gonna single handedly win any games for us, but he's gonna help us win a lot of games and he's gonna be involved in some losses because of some things that happened. So that's the year we're gonna have out of Jeremy. Let's just give him time to produce and and let him get through it because next year you're going to want him being the guy he ended up being at Paul to Six, which is is gonna be a great facilitator for an absolutely monstar type of team. And and he's the point guard we're going to want for that. Absolutely, 100%, no doubt about it. We don't want some flash-in-the-pan, one-and-done type of point guard coming out of that class. Jeremy Roach is a guy I want to run that next team. Like, So let him get let him get it in this year, learn from Jordan, take his lumps, and then be ready for the next season. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I, I you know, I, It's tough to put a minute per game, but I, I'm thinking probably you know between 20 and 25 yep. is going to be where he you know falls. And... Um, Yep, you know, Duhan was right there at that twenty-seven minute a game mark. I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. Yeah, and I and I think you're right. You know, he does have a lot of pieces around him that are going to help him. You know, they're going to they're going to hold him up in certain times because you know we do have a lot of ball hammers on this team. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, more Goldwire, Stewart, Jalen Johnson's going to be a de facto point guard for the squad. Right, he's going to so he's going to be that point forward. So there's no shortage of guys that that can pick up the slap there. Um, you know, finishing off the, the, the segment here with, with Roach, what does he have to do this year? And, and I hate to even uh, phrase the question this way, but mm-hmm. what does he have to do this year to get himself into the position of being the ultimate conductor next year for that team? He's going, number one, he's going to have, he's going to have to learn the offense. He's going to have to get comfortable with it. It's a different offense than what he ran at Paul the six. So that's, that's one of those hurdles that he's getting over right now. And that's kind of where yep. you're hearing those reports of him not picking things up. Totally different offense um, than what he was running there. So he's, he's going to have to learn the motion. He's going to have to learn the horn sets, all those things that Duke runs that he hasn't really been exposed to. And he's going to have to show that he can attack the basket. We saw one of the things that really hurt Trey his freshman year and Trey's going to be ahead, a little bit ahead of where Jeremy was, but Trey's freshman year, he couldn't put the ball in the basket. And you saw what happened with the whole, the taco fall defense against Trey, where he's, he's packing back in the lane and just leaving Trey by himself. Like Jeremy's going to have to prove that he can a knock down shots and B be at least a threat to get to the basket or get to the interior to make kickouts happen or to put a shot up because 
you're going to see this team do that a lot. They're going to, there's going to be a lot of spread the floor, make the interior and then either get your shot or get a kick out to shoot us to the outside. There's going to be a lot of that this season. And, and Jeremy's got to be able to prove he can do that because next season you're going to see the same exact thing, but on steroids. So it, like this, this season is going to be his, like his audition essentially for, for what he's going to be able to have to, to be able to do next season. Yeah. Stress, stress rehearsal. Is what yeah, I did. Absolutely. Um, yep. All right. So let's talk about next year now. So we at yeah, so uh, recruiting for next year, obviously, we already have um, Griffin and your boy, Von Caro. Von Caro, baby. Uh, and so we, no, I don't want to say we've expected uh, to have potentially at least one more commitment by this time. Um, should we be concerned that, you know, Baldwin, Keels, and or Houston have not um, committed anywhere, let alone to Duke yet? Under normal normal circumstances and normal recruiting years, I would say yes. But being as what this season is, I no, I, I wouldn't be concerned yet. I, I think these guys are because they can't take visits because coaches couldn't see them during the AAU seasons. I, I think everything is kind of it's not so much thrown out the window as much as it is just the brakes have been pumped a little bit on on recruiting and. I think that as as the basketball season starts, the college basketball season has to start, not necessarily with no hiccups, just it has to be able to start and and there has to be some kind of a plan as to how to deal with sicknesses and how to deal with missed games and everything else. And I think once that kind of gets ironed out, I think you'll see more of these recruits being comfortable, you know, popping for schools that they want to want to go to. And so so I think I think that's where we are with this thing. And, you know, they have to worry about their high school seasons. They're they're in the midst of their high schools trying to figure out what they're going to do. I know the VHSL around here, they're going to have a season. It's just they're they're working on the plan on how to make that work. So it, it's it's going to be interesting to see. They're all dealing with their own stressors at the moment. So I think once we kind of that that November, those November dates with the, the start of the college basketball season, as that comes around, I think we'll either – Prior to that or just after that, we'll start to see more of these commitments. I don't see Patrick Baldwin going to his dad's school and foregoing a chance to go to Duke and get his name out there with everything with the G League and all these players making money already. And every, like, I can't see him doing that. I just I, like I, I can see him extending the recruitment and, and giving his dad and his dad's school some publicity by having the number one player in the class like being considered to go there. But I just I don't see it happening, man. I just I really don't. I don't see his dad allowing it to happen as a college basketball coach, and I don't see Patrick making that happen. So it, it's Duke for me with him. Keels, it's up in the air between Duke and Nova right now. It looked like Duke was like right there, you know, ready to get a commitment, and I think Nova kind of slid back in. They dropped one of the guys they were recruiting at the same position, so now they're kind of back in the Keels game. Duke is only recruiting Keels, and I think. Because they're only recruiting Keels, it will really, I can't say that because they have Houston. I think Keels and Houston are kind of battling for the same spot. But I, I think that's, that's you know, that's pick one or the other. One's gonna, one is going to go to Duke. It's going to be Keels or it's going to be Houston, one of the two. Yeah, so I, I, I'm with you on Baldwin. I, I stated ad nauseum that he's my favorite player in this class. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you, though. I, I think it will be either Keels or Houston. It can't be both. Um is there a chance that Duke gets neither of them? I don't. I don't see that chance. I don't see that happening. I, 
K is going, he's going to do short, short of anything illegal, short of bringing out the bag, like people like to say, he, he's going to do everything he has to to make one of those guys happen. Like it's, they need someone at that spot unless, unless he knows of someone like Wendell Moore or DJ Stewart is sticking around. Like we need one of those guys to come in. Like that's, that's that wing position for depth. We need that guy in that spot. So we, we need one of those two there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, it is kind of an embarrassment of riches uh, if you get Baldwin and then either one of those guys. Because um, yeah. I, I do believe that you're going to you're gonna have a solid chance that DJ Stewart comes back regardless. Um, right. And then if you have, you know, between <laughs> Griffin, Carroll, Baldwin, and then yeah. let's just say, and then it's just, it's Houston, and then you have still Baker, <laughs> Williams, right. you know, John's on the bank. Like it, that's that's what we were talking about. That yep. I love this year for Jeremy Rich. I'm so glad that he's here to mm-hmm. you know work his way into being the point guard that we're going to need for next year. Because I think that that well, could that be it for Coach Tate? It is possible because that team is going to be so insanely loaded potentially. Yeah. Um, that you know that might be the perfect swan song. Um, so I saw I'm pumped for Jerry Moach being here. Ultimately, you know, I thought that Keel was going to be the guy. I, I'm no longer that confident with that because, uh, you know, I guess that, that there's some concerns there with his family on, you know, potentially being recruited over, which I hate that term, uh, right. and, and not being the best fit for, uh, for, for Duke's offense. And he likes to fit better for Villanova. Uh, is right. that what you're hearing as well? Yeah, because kind of like Jeremy Trevor is not he's not looking at the one and done path and I, I always kind of point to him as being a very similar player to uh Taylor Horton Tucker from I believe it was uh, Iowa State a couple of years ago he went one and done he had like a he had a phenomenal freshman year came out of, kind of came out of nowhere he was like a mid four-star type of player came out of nowhere for Iowa State and was just a baller and he has that same build as Trevor same type of game the outside end game that Trevor plays and and Horton Tucker went early to the pros as a one of them player, and he hasn't done anything. You know what I mean? So I, I think that type of player still is not that type of player is not coveted in the league. And I think Trevor is he's on the path to be a two maybe three year player. He's worried about being recruited over, but I mean that's you know that's on you. Like that's on you as a player to make sure that you do the things that you need to do to not get recruited over if you do plan on staying more than one season. And looking at who Duke's looking at, and I'm sure this is what the staff's going to be talking about with him, they're not right now they're not really in the game for a lot of, you know, twos and threes that are going to be coming in just playing over top of Trevor. Like, he, he's going to be able to do his thing. So I know his his fam, his family really likes Duke. They really want him to go to Duke. They were in Duke stuff at, at Paul to Six Games this year and everything. Some of it in support of Jeremy, some of it, I'm sure, you know, for Trevor or whatever, because that's when he was really heating up with Duke. But yeah, I, I would love to see him there, man. I, I love that dude to death. I love his game. He's a great kid. He's he's that asshole type of player that I would love to see at Duke that we rarely ever get because he that's what he is on the court. He's a bully and it, it's awesome. But if we don't get him, I think I think we get Caleb Houston. There's between between Rowan Barrett, uh, RJ's dad. And, you know, this just the, the Canadian, the Canadian thing we have going on right now and the, the connection there. I don't know, man. I don't I don't see how I don't I don't see how we don't get Caleb. Yeah, no, if, if you had a gun to my head and we could only pick between the two of them at this point, I think that Caleb is the more likely 
guided to come uh, to Duke. And um, I think we'd be uh, insanely lucky to have him. You know, he reclassified, and I had to imagine that um, we had at least something to do with that reclassification. Yep. So, um, so yeah, if, if you had to ask me now, I think, I think we get Baldwin and I think we get Houston um, to go along with Van Carroll and Griffin, and that is four top ten guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everybody has uh, Van Carroll and Baldwin as their one-two uh, ahead of uh, Chet Holmgren. So, I mean, this is just an embarrassment of riches, and yeah. uh, hopefully with uh, unlike the Zion class where, you know, we had four amazing guys come in, uh, this is arguably going to be not only better, but uh, we're going to have more returning uh, than they did, uh, mm-hmm. more elite returners, I guess, uh, than they did. And so we should have a much more balanced approach um, in, in that class. But we'll see. All right, so let's, we, uh, let's wrap. If we, get yeah. Houston, if we get Houston, Griffin, Vonquero, and Baldwin, I don't, I don't know that it's arguable that it's better than the design class. It, I, don't, I don't think there's any argument. Like, I, I, I think it's hands down better than that class. Like, yeah. hands down. Um, like, there's Hall of yeah. Famers in this. Like, seriously, there's, there's Hall of Famers in this 2021 class. Like, not, to, not just talking about the Duke guys. All over this class, there's Hall of Famers in the NBA in this class. Like, that's no joke. Like, this class is incredible. I'm telling you, man. I can't, I can't speak highly enough about this class. And 15, 20 years down the road, maybe I'll be wrong, whatever. I don't think I am. This class is incredible. I've never seen this type of talent in high school before. It's insane, dude. And if this is what high yeah. school basketball is going to look like moving forward, you're like, goddamn, we're in for a great sport, man, because this is a sport I love and I can't wait. Like, I'm so happy to see this basketball taking this type of this step, this evolutionary step, because the 2000, like the early, late 2000s, early 2010s, basketball was trash. And like, it's going to a new place now that, that I absolutely love. Yeah, uh, this is this is kind of like your your baby here, this class. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens. Next All right, so rarely will we ever uh, promote uh, someone else's podcast, but we we'd be remiss if we don't talk about JJ Redup's podcast, yeah, absolutely. the old the old man in the three. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were a Duke fan, uh, obviously you should go listen to his podcast. It's a lot of fun. He has just a slew of awesome guests. Uh, lined up on his podcast and uh recently he had uh coach k on and that was a lot of fun we were talking before we got on the air here um uh, just about that conversation uh with coach k and you know one of the things that i've found very interesting with with jj reddick's podcast is just how open he is about his struggles his first two years at Duke, mm-hmm. and you know how you know he had his sister's you know, on campus, his sophomore year, and he thought about quitting. And, you know, I think it's, most of the uh, Duke fans know of, of of his path and the struggles that he had, um, drinking-related, partying-related, and not keeping himself in the best shape. Uh, he wasn't as strong mentally uh, until, you know, really it was the intervention with Coach uh, Chris Collins and, and Wojo getting him in there and putting him on a plan and saying, hey, look, you know, you can continue to be what you are and will never realize how good you could have been. Or you can commit yourself right now and let's, let's take this path together, take this journey together to realize that potential we all know you have. And you saw the results in these next two years. 
um, mm -hmm. when he was the National Player of the Year both years, and the all-time leading Duke scorer, the all-time NCAA leader in three-pointers at the time, the, at the time the ACC scoring leader. Like the things that he did at Duke were just unbelievable, and uh, you know he'll never get the, the true credit he deserves because you know he didn't win a championship, right. but what he was able to do and, and turn himself into is nothing short of uh, unbelievable. And, um, you know, he talks about all of this on his podcast. It's just, I, I just encourage everybody to listen to it. Yeah. It's a, it's a must listen. It's, it's one of those things that one, that one in the, all the, all the smoke podcast last show that, that Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson have, those are the two that I'm like glued to all the time. I love JJ's podcast. I love his direction that he's headed. Like he's setting himself up for his future after, after the NBA. Like there's, there's no doubt in my mind that he's somehow going to be in the media after his, his career is over. And I can't wait to see what he does because I mean, he's just the way he talks about the game, the, the respect that he has throughout the league. And you can see it with the guys he gets on his show. Like, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And the, like you said, the player he's turned himself into, even throughout college, even in the pros, like to, to until this year to have never missed the playoffs before, like to be on that type of team every single year and to be an integral part of those types of teams. Like nobody, like nobody saw that coming for him because everybody assumed he was going to be a bust. Here comes another Duke bust, blah, blah, blah. JJ's done nothing but have a, a just a solidly spectacular career as a pro his college career is, you know, un unmatched by anybody. Like, there's nobody that shoots like him. There's nobody who scored like him. Like, it's, just, it's incredible, man. Like, I, I I can't say enough about it. I can't say, like, the Coach K episode. It's it's so much insight. Like, there's so much insight. That's the thing about it. So much insight into his world, into the world of sport, into basketball, like, into Duke basketball. It's it's. If you haven't listened yet, you got to You have to go. You have to go right now. And after our podcast, of course, finish ours and then go to his and then listen, because it's it's as a fan, it's just you just gain such a great perspective out of it. And you realize like it helps you realize like there are things there are things in this world and things in this world of sports outside of championships and things that you can actually enjoy in the sport. I, like I, that's who I would recommend. Go listen to is the people who are like Duke and Coach K naysayers at times who are like, oh, well, he hasn't won a championship in the last three years with some of the talent that he's had, like Coach K's washed up. All this. Like, there's a different side of the game outside of just winning a championship in a one-and-done tournament. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, and JJ's a perfect example of that. Like, he's one of those guys who he never won a championship, and his career is not sullied because of it, like, because of the journey that he went on and how he transformed himself. Like, it's just, it's it's awesome, man. Yeah, they tell a lot of great stories uh, between Coach K and JJ Reddick. One of uh, one of them from his wedding, uh, where Coach K uh, was talking about how, you know, he flew in uh, just for that wedding. He had he was a uh, basketball obligation or something like that, and mm -hmm. um, wasn't sure if he could even make it. But he fly he flies because he, he he didn't want to miss JJ's moment. Uh, and they were talking about the wine on the table that was there, and and JJ's like, you know, I wasn't the wine connoisseur uh, that I was back or that I am now. And so he goes, I see Coach K, and he's looking at the wine list and picking out, you know, thousand dollar bottle of wine just for his table alone. Um, and he wasn't going to let me have any of that. And then Coach K kind of interjects, and he's like, Well, you know, JJ, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. we we drank we drank wine a little bit differently um back then you know 
you you couldn't have appreciated that because you were drinking it for a different purpose. Uh, you know, you, you, you were you were gulping the wine, whereas I am sipping the wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it is it's a it's a phenomenal listen, and and let's wrap it up with another conversation he had, and this one was with Grace and Allen. Um, so this was a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. He had Grace and Allen on, and the question was posed, and he said, and so I want to get your take on this. Who is the more hated player at Duke, Grayson Allen or JJ Reddick? God, I love, I love this, I love that podcast. I love how this story started because it started with, uh, with a couple of guys on uh, the Duke TWT Live um, podcast that they're running right now, Zoomcast, whatever you want to call it. They had JJ on the show, and this kind of got started with that, and then it got started with with Grayson making a comment on one of the Twitter posts about it, and that's how it kind of ballooned into what it became, but. You know, not no spoilers, but to give my opinion on 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 who is the most hated based on just their conversation, what we know about Duke basketball and everything. I mean, they're hated for different reasons, and that was kind of like one of the takes on it. And it's like it's it's still JJ. Like to me, it's still JJ, but I can see the side of Grayson. But and it's because of what happened, like in Grayson's junior season, and it's a shame that that continues to follow him because what a career he had like talk about careers like what a what a step up he took from even the end of his freshman year into his that phenomenal sophomore season he had like again we don't get the luxury of having four-year players like that stick around yeah man i think i think it's i th- I, th- I don't know I, like grayson is grayson is more hated like that's what it, he's more hated but jj is hated with respect and i kind of look at that with more reverence than just how grayson is hated I guess that's the only yeah. that's the only way I can put it. Yeah, I mean that's the way to solidly dodge the question. Look, the the, the answer here is, <laughs> is, is, is Grayson Allen. Yeah, he is more he is more hated, and I'm not even sure it's close. And here's here's the reason why, because when JJ Reddick was playing, um, it was opposing fans that hated JJ Reddick, and mm-hmm. opposing fans, you could argue, hated JJ Reddick more than they hated Grayson Allen although that's almost tough to even say at this point. But right. the reality was, is that by JJ's junior and senior year, his peers around college basketball all respected the hell out of him. And right. so Sports Illustrated did a uh, poll um, in, in toward the end of JJ's mm-hmm. senior uh, season where they polled uh, other basketball college basketball players and said who – He's having a better year because remember it was kind of like that Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire yep. back and forth. Ammo versus him. JJ. Yeah, between uh, Morrison, Morrison, Adam Morrison from Gonzaga, yep. and JJ right up at Duke, and it was something like eighty-five percent all responded yeah. that JJ had the better uh, resume. Yep. And and so you just knew that they respected him, and he didn't get the media uh, crap that Grayson got. So. It was right. mostly just the opposing fans that, that hated on J.J. Reddick. But when it came to Grayson Allen, yeah. what, made, what made it so ridiculous to me is the media's treatment of Grayson Allen. You would have thought that he had murdered somebody on the court. The way you they still would him. think that. Like, they they and, still and bring up. You, you know, he did this every game. He kind of put – first of all, there was, there was a guy on Iowa State that was punching guys in, in the groin. Uh, that wasn't even covered. There was other guys that sure people never recovered. They would look at Grayson Allen walking off the court to see if he looked 
at the referee the wrong way. They would slow things down when he drove or was playing defense to a almost a standstill to see if there may be something that they can completely blow out of proportion. And it was the media's straight treatment of Grayson Allen that perpetuated this entire thing uh, on the, and, and obviously the social media aspect. You know, JJ didn't have to deal with that. And that's the only reason. Like, it was so polarizing what they did to Grayson Allen. And I'm not saying that Grayson Allen didn't bring it on himself because he did, but it, it was blown it was just blown so out of proportion that it is not even close to fair the treatment that he got. Um, and that's the reason that, you know, and obviously social media plays into that, and they talked about that on, on that podcast. But that's the only reason mm-hmm. why I think it's not even fair that the way he was treated because it was the media that perpetuated a lot of the hatred that he got, um, yeah. and very unjustly. And, 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 you know, and for being completely honest, you know, Jay Billis, uh, Jay Williams, uh, Seth Davis, all Duke guys, they contributed to it. Yep, so, absolutely. I don't disagree. I think I'm I'm with you. I like like I'm with you on the especially because of the social media aspect. Like because of that, like I can play the game of what if JJ had to deal with social media, and yeah, it would have been the same dumb trolls on Twitter. But again, like you said, like the the media still had nothing but respect for JJ Reddick because because he was hated for what he was doing to other teams. He wasn't hated because of an action. Grace was hated because of an action. They took it way too far in my opinion like you had Silvio D'Souza trying to hit a guy with a chair last year and you heard about it for like 10 minutes like are you kidding me like he's he's gonna assault someone with a chair but Grayson will trip the guy and and he still gets that treatment in the league in the bubble we're in the bubble we're in 2020 and they're talking about Grayson Allen doing dirty game like dirty plays like are you kidding me like I don't know man it's yeah 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 you're right you're right it's Grayson it's too stupid um all right so that's going to wrap it up for us. Um, I have learned uh, after listening to a lot of other podcasts that they tell people that are listening, please give us five stars after listening. Review us, give us a review, give us five stars. I'm not sure what that does for us, but they always ask. So I'm going to ask <laughs> our followers and our, our listeners to drop us five stars and drop us a, uh, a review. Uh, but I think, I think going forward, our first game is going to be on uh basically a month from now uh 11 25 garden web we have no idea yeah we don't know what it's going to look like uh in cameron but i'm sure that uh that we're going to have something special that nobody else does because that's just what duke blue planet does and i'm i'm all in for it absolutely can't wait man go duke thank you for tuning in to the five point play podcast the number one duke fans podcast check us out at Instagram at Five Point Play Podcast. That's the number Five Point Play Podcast. And on Twitter, Five Point Play Podcast. Go Duke!